encountering Jesus in India. So let's stand for um, the reading of today's text, for the, the reading of God's word. John chapter 14, from verse 15. John chapter 14, from verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this short passage. Lord, I pray for... Um, guidance orders as I um, open up your word, as I give a testimony about Jesus. Well, may this morning be an encouragement to everyone here and a reminder that Jesus is alive. Lord, we thank you ahead of, uh, ahead of time for what you can be doing today. These types of words and testimonies always a, an encouragement and stirring to all of us, Lord. So I pray that you get the glory, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Now, today's really a follow-up from the message I did the other week, simply entitled, Encountering Jesus, where we heard about the encounters Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel had with Jesus in John chapter 1. Now, today really is a challenge. I've been challenged. Uh, a few people have asked me about my testimony. If I was to give my whole testimony, we'd be here at least till three in the afternoon plus. So this is just a, a short snippet of uh, my encounter with Jesus in India. Um, testimonies are an encouragement for believers, but also for non-believers. And the two things I really want to get across this morning is, one... Jesus is alive, amen, and two, the Bible is true. It's a relevant, up-to-date book, and we will hear how so as we go along. But it's also scriptural to testify. Turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says... And they, the believers in Jesus, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. See, a believer is covered by the blood of Jesus. A believer bears witness to Jesus, and a believer never denies Jesus even at the cost of their lives. And so to testify is to testify about the works which Jesus has done. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, this is what Jesus says about confessing, okay? He says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But he who denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, to confess doesn't mean to go up to somebody and tell them all your sins, okay? The biblical understanding of what confession is, is to align with Jesus. It's to align and realign with the works of God. Now, this morning we're going to hear about my experience but I'm actually testifying to what Jesus done, okay? So I may be talking a lot about myself, but I want to try and weave in and for you to see that Jesus um, is the one getting the glory. And to testify means this, to give evidence. As one testifies in court, I feel maybe like I'm in court somewhat today, about giving evidence about Jesus, 
Because everyone's heard about the historical Jesus. Every religion claims that Jesus is in their religion. Everyone has an opinion on Jesus. Is this true? People don't know anything about him, have a very strong opinion about Jesus. So I want to give evidence about Jesus and my encounter from Jesus' word, which are the scriptures. Amen? And I want to finish with some practical points of this. How we can encounter Jesus, how we can surrender to Jesus, and how we can guard our hearts from straying from Jesus. Okay? So, but my main focus will be the encounter that I had with Jesus in India in 2008. Okay? But I want to begin with a short introduction of, and it has to be a short introduction, of my life before encountering Jesus. Because I didn't become a believer until I was 29 and 30 years old. Um, However, as a a family, um, I would say we were quite normal, like your family quite normal yeah my dad was a milkman and my mum was a chambermaid and everything else she was a cook she was everything else Um, and a really great mum and I had a really great dad and I had two older brothers and actually we grew up here in Arbury okay so I'm part of the Arbury Massif and um, I've traveled the world as you will hear but I end up right back here in Arbury Um, when I speak to uh, non-believers about my trips and coming back here to Arbury, they often say, you've been returned here for your sins. Which gives a wonderful um, opportunity for me to actually talk about what sin is, but maybe they've got a point. So, um, we as a family, we did go to church actually here in Arbury, there on Campkin Road, and I went to church from about the age of four uh, to eleven. It was an American church. It was an evangelical church. Um, the pastor had um, big American pastor hands. You know the ones, hey, buddy, how are you doing? Um, it was a lovely church. It was very friendly. Uh, it was very welcoming. But like all churches, it had its problems. And later on, when the evangelists went back to America, there was a church split. And it was at that time that my parents stopped going to church. It just fizzled out and we stopped going. So it's probably the late um, 80s, maybe early 90s, about that time. And from then on, there was really no Christianity in the home. Um, Pretty good at school. Um, Not my education, but I had quite a lot of fun at school. Um, I left at 16. I I couldn't read properly. I, I couldn't write properly. I won't name the scores, but don't send your kids there. Um, I didn't leave with a great education, right? But I had a lot of fun. I used to go in for lunch times. I used to go in for play times. um, And um, I was bored. Let me be honest. I I was bored. I couldn't read very well. I couldn't write very well. So I become very disruptive at school. I would say, this is all a little bit boring. Let's have a bit of fun. And um, so actually, let me add this. I wasn't going to, but... They got a psychologist in. Is this kid simple or what? what? What's going on here? He's nuts. So they got this psychologist in. And um, I must have been about 11. I thought, what are we going to do with this kid? And um, the psychologist gave a report to my mother. And I said, well, I was speaking with James. In the middle of our conversation, um, he took off his shoes And he walked across the room and he put them by the door and he came and sat back down. So I asked James, why did you do that? And apparently I said to him, you're the psychologist, you tell me. (laughs) And at the age of 11, I had the IQ of think of a 13 or 14 year old. And I put that down to my older brothers. I grew up in a house where... There's lots of talk and discussions and fun, and I was being the youngest. Um, I love to discuss things. That hasn't changed. However, I left school at 16, um, went straight to work. I went to work in the restaurant trade, um, a very dangerous trade, I would say. There's lots of partying in restaurants, and, but it's lots of good fun. I started very young. I was known as Little Jimmy. I had really long hair. I was 16, and, and I was washing up pots and pans, and they used to throw 
pots and pans at me and asked me to scrub things down. I was just known as little Jimmy, um, the one who would really do anything for money. Um, I would do extra shifts and just work really hard. But it was the 90s, and um, if any of you can remember, it was party time. Remember that? I, I played in a band. Um, it was, looking back, it was disastrous, but at the time it was a lot of fun. We used to play lots of gigs in town. I used to smash up guitars thinking I was Pete Townsend and Jimi Hendrix uh, without the same money as them. So the next day I would spend the time putting the guitar back together. But we played a lot of gigs. Um, but, of course, it was the 90s. I was young. I had money because I worked. Um, so there was a lot of drink involved. There was drugs involved. It was the 90s. And, um, and I had long hair and I was really cool. Um, and often when I meet with my middle brother, Mark, he looks at me and he looks at himself and says, what happened? We've become a couple of dorks, is what Mark says. But it was good fun at the time. Now, I moved around a bit. I lived in Luxembourg. Don't ask me why. That's too long. Um, I lived in Brighton. Uh, I lived in Leeds. And again, I worked hard, but I partied harder. There was a lot of party time in Brighton. It's the party central place and um, there's more drink involved more drugs involved and it just got to a point where I really got bored I, I picked up a love at the time for Indian music and while I was in Luxembourg I bought a CD of Indian music and I got quite into this beautiful music some of it was folk some of it was classical and that stayed with me and I eventually left Party Town and decided to move to Leeds to study Indian classical music. And it was there in Leeds um, that I really started to consider the meaning of life. Do you remember that age? I started to go, what, what's all this about? What, what's going on here? I was looking at things around me and I was just bored, not settled. I want to know what's really, really going on. So I found out my eldest brother, um, who was at university at the time studying history. And my brother's called Nicholas, and I said, I'm really bored, and blah, blah, blah. And he says, you need to educate yourself. You need to educate yourself. And it was a wonderful bit of advice. So the day was the 1st of January, 2003, New Year's Day. And I went to the shop and I bought two books, two wonderful books. One was a dictionary. And the second book was world history. Okay, I didn't have the internet. And I would just sit at home um, reading a dictionary. Okay. What a dork. And world history book. And I would come home from work and take it to work. And I would just flip to any page. I'd Oh, Zambia. Let's learn about Zambia or learn about Gandhi or... Chairman Mao, or I'd learn about whatever country it is, an island, and whatever it was, and just learn stuff, and learn about world history, and anything come up I didn't understand, I'd grab the book and look it up, old school, yeah, and decided to educate myself. Now, although in Leeds, I'd finished with my Indian classical music there, and I decided to move back to Cambridge, and this is where my spiritual journey began, I would say. I decided to stop drinking entirely. I realized my mindset and somewhat the British mindset is you either drink or you don't. Is that true? Seemed to be the case. A baby's born, celebrate. Somebody dies, celebrate. Have a drink. There's a wedding, drink. There's a divorce, drink. It's all based around alcohol and I just thought... I'm done with this. I'm seeing people in their late 20s and seeing people in their 30s because I had older brothers, and they were just doing the same old thing. And I had to make this decision, am I going to stop? And I made the decision to stop on my 27th birthday. I had a cigarette and a beer, and that's the last time I've ever touched it. Praise God. I think the age of 27, because possibly I was influenced by the 27 Club. Anyone knows that is? Lots of famous rock stars died at 27. So I nipped it in the bud and stopped on my 27th birthday, okay? That's wisdom. Now, at the time, I started dating a Jewish girl. 
That's always going to be trouble, isn't it? I started dating a Jewish girl. Um, her mother was a convert to Judaism, and her father was from Israel. Okay, I could give a load of interesting stories about that, funny stories about that, but I can't get into it too much. But we did observe the Jewish feasts, okay? From the Passover to Rosh Hashanah and everything else, we observed them. And at the time, my girlfriend really wanted me to go to Israel. And I thought, what do I go to Israel for? I ain't nothing to do with Israel. I don't want to go there for the little country. It always sounds like trouble. And she really desperately wanted me to go to Israel. And really to impress her mother, I, I said, I want to buy Lily, that was her name, a book about Judaism to get in with the mum. Let's be honest. So I got this book on Judaism and gave her this book on Judaism to dig her roots, to know her roots about Judaism, to know her roots about Israel, and to really learn about her ancestry. And I think she did, in return, get me a trip to Ireland, because, funny enough, I've got some Irish roots. You may not know that, but I've got Irish roots. And she bought me a trip to Dublin for my birthday. Isn't that awesome? My family are from Belfast. But she bought me this trip to Dublin. And it was, it was a great trip. It was very interesting. And we're wandering around looking at all of these things, top of the morning to you and all of that. And other Irish people saying to me, when you're coming home, now, I've never lived in Ireland, but this is what Irish people say, when you're coming home, okay? What's your name, Jimmy? Oh, you're Irish, you need to come home. And we stopped off at this coffee shop. And we got some coffees and we sat down. And this is where I would say I had what would be called an existential crisis. I was there and I said, look, there's, there's got to be more to life. Here we are. We're sat here drinking coffee. The world's going to pot. People are just doing the same thing in and out. Everyone's drinking and partying. And I want to know what truth is. Is this actually real? I believe there's something beyond this. This can't be it because if this is it, I want out. There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be something. I believe there's something more eternal. This can't surely be it. Because if this is it, this is dull. And I went on and on and on. And she looked at me and said, have you finished? And I, and I realized I'd been ranting for about 10 minutes. Can you believe that? For about 10 minutes, I'd just completely gone. Psh! And that was my moment of, I need to go on a search. And I'm searching for one thing, and that thing is truth. I desperately wanted to know what is the truth? What is truth? So because I'd stopped drinking, because I'd stopped drugs and everything else, I decided to throw myself into a discipline. And that discipline was the martial arts. I'd done it as a child, but now I was like, right, I'm going into the martial arts. And I was reading everything that came my way. I was reading about yoga. I was reading about Chinese philosophy. I was reading a lot about Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. And any, any spiritual book, the Bhagavad Gita was another one, uh, any spiritual book that came my way, I was on it. And I was reading because I now can read, you see. I'd educated myself and now I'm filling my head with lots of stuff. And I was becoming very wise, very knowledgeable. And I could say certain phrases and it all sounded very philosophical and somewhat impressive. So... I decided to show off my knowledge to my mum. We met and we had a coffee and I was talking about Gandhi and Gandhi said this and the Buddha said this and in Zen it says this. and Very high philosophical things and wise. And my mum listened, as she has done for 46 years, very patiently. And she said a very wise thing. Read about Jesus. And she bought me this little book on Jesus. So I had all of these books on everything you can think of. Literally anything. And I decided to read this book about Jesus. And I was so enamored with this character who was perfect. Who was charged of no sin at all. 
was living 2,000 years ago in Israel. And I decided to tell my Jewish girlfriend. I said, hey, this Messiah bloke that you're looking for sounds a lot like Jesus. That relationship finished. And her mom spoke to me no more. Actually, I met her many years later at the synagogue where I went um, for a, um, what was it, bar mitzvah? Yeah, to a boy's bar mitzvah. And she said, what are you doing now? I said, now I'm a Christian pastor. I've been in Israel and everything else. But that relationship finished very quickly. And I decided, right, what am I going to do now? And I decided, as the extremist I am, I'm going to move to Edinburgh to a black belt academy to study martial arts. I'm going to take this really seriously. So I've got these two worldviews now. I've got this one of philosophical, and I've got this knowledge now about Jesus. So off I go to Edinburgh at Rick Young's Black Belt Martial Arts Academy. And it was a lot of fun. And all I was doing there while I was there in Edinburgh was reading the New Testament in particular, and I had another book, which was a biblical encyclopedia, nothing else. No internet. I didn't know anything about all these evangelical churches and Baptist churches. I didn't even know about pre, mid, or post-tribulation. Can you believe that? Once saved, always saved. I didn't know any of this. It was a great time. There was no arguments in my head, okay? But I was reading about Jesus, and what I would do is exactly what Jesus said, or at least try to, okay? When you're giving with one hand, don't let the other hand know what you're doing, and I was loving my neighbor, whether they wanted me to love them or not. I was doing all of these things, and I was really enjoying reading about Jesus. However, I noticed one thing which was very clear. That when you start to read the Bible, it has an effect on everyone around you. Whether you're talking about it or not, to get out a Bible in public has an effect. Is that true? Then your family members hear that you've joined a cult. He's reading the Bible, okay? He's reading the Bible. And it just had an effect on my work colleagues. Um, you'd walk into a room and get out your Bible and everyone's conversation would change or, they, or swearing would cease and all of these sorts of things. So I noticed there was a reaction to just having a Bible. Now, I was at home one Sunday morning in Edinburgh and I got this strong conviction I need to be baptized now. Okay, I've got to do it now. So I grab my New Testament and I go off to the local Baptist church and I knock on the door. And this lovely old lady called Margaret answers. And she says, uh, yeah, how can I help? I said, do you do baptisms? She said, yeah. By full immersion? Yep. I said, I want to be baptized. She said, wait a minute, let me just get you Tom. And can we have a picture of Tom? Here he is, Tom Fleming. Anyone heard of him? Dame Judy Dench's old boyfriend. He also played Jesus in, uh, I think, some, one of the early um, films of Jesus. And he's altogether a thoroughly good chap. He used to do the voiceover at the Edinburgh Tattoo. He's just a great guy. Remained a bachelor, didn't get married, and he smoked a pipe, and he was just a cool bloke. And uh, so I said, do you do baptisms? Yes. Do you do it by full immersion? Yes, for a Baptist church. I said, well, that's great. And he said, my name's Tom. What's your name? So we shook hands, and um, we've become really good friends. And he was just a lovely guy, and I got baptized there on March the 25th in 2007 but before that i was invited to a robbie burns night you know what one of those is find out about robbie burns is a famous scottish poet and everyone goes there and eats haggis and speaks scottish okay the church was lovely there wasn't just one margaret everyone seemed to be called margaret you said margaret and they all turned their heads around it was lovely old ladies and they just fed me tea and shortbread and of course i was new i got a lot of shortbread and a lot of tea and I get invited to lots of houses, and if I didn't know their name, I'd just call her Margaret. It was lovely, it was friendly, I used to have guest speakers, and they had this Robbie Burns night. 
And um, so I turned up, and they said, we're going to play you some traditional Scottish music on the sitar. I said, that's amazing. And in comes this little man who was blind. And he said, I'm going to play sitar. So he goes and sits down and and plays sitar, and it it was wonderful. And he come and sat at my table, and we got chatting, and he invited me to his house to learn the sitar. All of these things that I'd loved in the past, Indian classical music as well, and I'd bought a sitar in London. He said, no, you can come. You come to my house. So I was like, what, what do I do when you go to an Indian's house? What do you do? You bring them tea. Okay? This was the tradition. You bring the guru tea. And you... So I turned up at his house, and um, in I came, and I gave him some tea. And he goes, oh, I'm not a guru. I'm not a Hindu. I follow Jesus. And you don't need to bring me any more gifts from now on. Amazing. There's a wonderful house. And um, have we got a picture of Birenna Morag? There's Birenna Morag. So he's Nepali. He's blind. And Morag is definitely Scottish, isn't she? And she was a missionary in Calcutta. And Beren had traveled from Nepal to study Indian classical music in Calcutta. And they ended up getting married, okay? And, um, and then eventually moving back to Edinburgh. Now, Morag was a, definitely a tea maker. And it seemed to be somewhat precision that she would come in every half an hour with a cup of tea and a biscuit. Every cup of tea and biscuit was prayed for. I mean, these were devout. I thought they were a little bit... They're like a Mandarin Horton, but on steroids. <laughs> Everything needs to be prayed for. Uh, okay, and you're there, and you pray for that, and then half an hour later, come in, and, and there's a biscuit, and I better pray for this. And then the lesson would finish, maybe an hour or a half in, and then Beren would sit there and tell me wonderful stories of missionaries, okay, around the world. For hours. And then there was this missionary and that. And this happened. And of course, I'm just being very polite. I just said, oh, okay. I'm just sat there listen. But I heard all of these wonderful missionary stories of Brother Andrew and um, missionaries in India and, and in China and in Thailand. And I learned so much from them. But the one thing I really learned from them is everything needs to be prayed for. When I said, I'm going to go, we're going to pray for you. Okay, I meant go to the toilet. But everything was coupled with prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And then I see him the following week. And this would go on and on and on. So down went the martial arts. And up come the sitar. And I decided, as the extremist I am, I'm going to India. And I'm going to learn from one of the teachers out in Calcutta, who was related, actually, to Beren's teacher. He was a disciple of Beren's teacher. Um, that teacher didn't know I was coming, but I decided to go anyway. So Morag and Beren said, can we pray for you before you go? So I said, yeah, sure. They said, do you mind if we lay hands on you? Sure. Doesn't mean anything. Crack on. They laid hands on me, and they prayed for quite a while, you know. And off I went, and eventually find myself in Calcutta. I arrived in Calcutta in 2008 and took lessons from Pandit Sabruto Roy Chowdhury. There he is. Um, He's no longer with us. Um, But he was a fantastic sitar teacher. And um, and I think he just liked having an Englishman in the house, really. Um, But what was special about Sabruto was you would turn up at his house and he would say to me, I'm going to teach you this. And he would play the, the most difficult piece that you'd ever hear. And there's, in your head, there's no way I'm going to learn. I'm just not going to learn this. And by the time you left his house, it might be a few hours later, you knew it. This particular teacher had a way of putting it into your head. A fantastic teacher, a brilliant teacher who's, who's able to transmit this and break it down and he was a lovely guy. We actually ended up playing a concert with him uh, out in a place called Bihar. Um, we ended up in the newspapers. 
And it was kind of interesting. I think I was just the token white guy with the ginger head playing the tanpura in the background. But it was good and it was fun. Um, now, I was attending a William Carey Baptist church on the other side of Calcutta. Okay? And I would travel by taxi every Sunday morning to this particular part and I would go to church with two people. One was called Rose and the other one of Wise, a married couple. Can we put those up? There's Rose and Wise. She is known as Rose of Calcutta, and there's a book written about her. But she was a, a missionary. She was from a Brahmin uh, Buddhist family background, and she would have all of these kids come to her house, and she would teach them scripture, and she would teach them music and teach them English. And, um, and I would attend the local William Carey Baptist Church mainly with her husband. We used to get the rickshaw and go off there and worship there. And it was a fantastic family, and we would have food afterwards. Now, the sitar was going well. Everything was going really well. However, there's one thing that kept happening to me every morning. It was at 2 in the morning, every morning, I would wake up. Bright as a button. I'd be so awake. So the next day was a Sunday. And I went to Rose and Wise's house. And Wise's sister was there. And she was a doctor. So I thought, well, I'm going to have a word with her. I said, her name was Monga. And I said to her, sister, I keep waking up at two in the morning. I said, I don't know. I'm a working guy. I've stopped working now. I'm studying. Maybe it's because I'm not tired enough. And she went, oh, I know what it is. Come in the kitchen with me and I'll explain it to you. Because these lot in here won't believe it. Okay. So me and Monga go off to the kitchen. And she gives me an onion and some garlic. She said, peel them. Me being a nice English boy and hearing my mother's voice, be polite to ladies, decided to peel the onion and the garlic. And here I am chopping up the onion and the garlic. And she goes, right, this is why you keep waking up at two in the morning. The Holy Spirit wants to come and live inside you. I'm like, what? What? I mean, I've been baptized and what? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, God, wants to come down and live in you. This was very, very strange. And I'm thinking, how can I get out of this kitchen? And she gives me more garlic and more onions. Keep chopping, boy. So I carry on. She said, the Holy Spirit wants to come and dwell in you, wants to live in you. But you have to ask. And she said, pray this prayer. Lord... Fill my inner man with the Holy Spirit. Then she said it again. Lord, fill my inner man with the Holy Spirit. Pray this. So I said, well, thank you. I didn't pray it there and then. I said, well, thank you very much. Finished up there and I went home. And that was it. However, the next morning, I wake up at two in the morning. And I decided to pray. I'd actually forgotten about this meeting with Monk. It was just so strange. It was two in the morning. And I got down like a little boy would on his, beside his bed on my knees and praying like this. And I was praying what one would call a normal prayer. Very dry. And in the midst of that prayer, these words come out. Lord, fill my inner man with the Holy Spirit. And I felt a hand physically touch my thigh. Physically, okay? And I stopped praying. I was so shocked. As if a, as a, like a human hand touched my thigh. It wasn't in my mind, it was real. And then I thought, well, I'm in it this far. I'm going to keep going. So I got back into the prayer posture and said, Lord, fill my inner man with the Holy Spirit. And from the tips of my toes to the top of my head, I was filled with, what I would say, hot oil. And I knew instinctively Jesus was in the room. I knew it more than I knew myself, 
more than I knew reality itself, Jesus was in the room. I couldn't physically see him, but I knew it was him. My whole body felt like it was glowing, like warm oil all over me and in me. And I asked two questions twice. First question, is that you, Jesus? And I got this rush through my body. I thought that was pretty good. I'm going to say that again. Is that you, Jesus? Massive rush through my body. Then I asked this question. Is the Bible true? Is it true? And I rushed through my body and asked that twice. Is the Bible true? Is it your word? And I rushed through my body. Now I'm standing there. Filled what I now know with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the room. I know that more than life itself, that Christ was with me in that room. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. The eternal God had taken time out of eternity to meet one sinner in Calcutta. To reach down and fill my inner man at a simple request. The God that sustains the whole world by the power of his word took that time out to meet one man. Can you imagine that? But he did it. And it's true. And he's real. And I love him. He's my saviour. He's my Lord. And I'm standing there. My mind is, I'm the Arbery man. This is weird, but it's real. It's so real. It was undeniable. I was praising him and worshipping him, and eventually I fell asleep. And in the morning I woke. I don't know what to do. My whole world and reality had completely changed. There was a shift. I had been in contact with the living God and he'd been in contact with me and he'd filled me. So what does someone do? They get a taxi and go somewhere. And I got a taxi and I got it to Halra Station. It's about six miles away if you know where you're going. And I walked, I don't know why I went there, but I went there. It's like a Victoria station, but in Calcutta. And I walked back. I simply went far so I could walk back. And all of the stories, Moses, Noah, and Abraham, the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, the crucifixion were no longer stories, but they were facts. No longer fiction, but reality. Unquestionable. How could I question it any longer? God is real. Now, what was going on here? What was going on? Turn with me to, um, well, let's have a look at the passage in John chapter 14. We're going to read on a little bit. You remember how little knowledge I had of the Bible. Very little knowledge. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what I was trying to do, but in the flesh, all with good intentions, but I didn't have the spirit. And Jesus says in 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you. How long? Forever. Who is he? The spirit of Wow. Whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He is a promise-keeping God. Amen? This became a reality. (laughs) 19 says, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. Christ lives. And that day you will know that I am um, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Wow, you're getting this whole trinity coming alive here. 
he who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by me. Listen, he'll be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. It's no longer dead words. It's become a reality, a living reality. It's more real than looking at any of you right here this morning. Verse 23, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now I'm able to with the Holy Spirit, you see. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Amazing. And as I walk the streets of Calcutta... I could literally feel myself being filled with the Holy Spirit. I was glowing. Anyone remember the Ready Breck advert? Like this. I was glowing, walking down the streets. It's the only way I can describe it. And I was speaking to Hindus, and I was speaking to Muslims, and I was speaking to Christians, and I was speaking to missionaries. One missionary invited me to speak to an imam. I can't name him because he's still out there doing it, bless him. But he invited me to a mosque. And said, let me teach you, young man, how to speak to an imam. I absolutely did baffle the imam. I had these questions and answers about scripture and everything else. We left the mosque. And this missionary took me around the corner and said, you told me you hadn't done this before. I hadn't. How long have you been doing it? I said, about 45 minutes. I said, let me tell you what happened to me the other night. And I told him my encounter with Jesus. Do you know what he said? Be careful of spiritual things. Be careful of this. This is charismatic. I said, no, it's in the scriptures that the Lord will come to me and fill me and manifest himself to me and empower me and teach me. That's how I could do the thing. And the next thing we heard is this pitter-patter of the imam. I want to know more. He's left his mosque. Why is that? Because he's scared of his flock. So the Baptist type goes, yeah, sure. And he gave him my address. This is all what's happening because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, look, I didn't have the knowledge that you have of the Bible. I didn't have it, okay? I was only just teaching myself to read. I get invited to the local mosque opposite mine. He says, I'm going to pray. I said, you pray, and I prayed. And I gave him a copy in Urdu of the Bible, Old and New Testament. He said, you have lots of good answers. It was of the Holy Spirit. Everything was happening because of the Holy Spirit. So I decided eventually to make my way back home. See, God made man with a body, a soul, and spirit. But when man sinned, he died spiritually. In the garden, in Genesis chapter 2, God said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And on that day, if you do eat of it, you will surely die. You see, these people were deceived, Adam and Eve, by the father of all lies. And they ate, and they didn't die physically that day, but they did die spiritually. And that's what's missing in man. They're searching the whole world to fill the gap that is within them. And that gap is the spiritual contact between them and God. And that's only possible to have that through the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the only way. There's only one mediator between man and God, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus comes down to redeem that and deal with sin and pay the penalty. You see, I was looking all my life for truth, and I found it. Or should I say, it found me. Let me read these scriptures. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he said this, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Is there a war on truth today? That's a war on God. A war on truth is a war on God. The world says there's no absolute truth. It's all subjective. It's how you feel that day. There's no objective truth. The very fact that you say there's no objective truth is an objective truth statement. You get it? 
There is no spiritual world, the unseen realm. There's no God is what the world is telling people. And there's no clear word from God. But Jesus says, your word is truth. There's a war on right now. It's against his word. And we need to be warriors for the truth and hold fast and be steadfast of the truth because the message that we have, the good news, is the only way to eternal life. And there's no other way. The fierce argument is against life and truth, life and death, falsehood. This is what the whole argument is about. The words that we have and that we've been given leads to eternal life. Now, before I finish, I I just want to share one other thing. After a time, I want to real pay attention to this. After a time, when I came back to England and got Christian smart and Christian clever and a little bit too cocky. And you only learn those things in bad churches, by the way, or on the Internet now, which I didn't have. I decided to walk home. That's about eight mile walk. And I thought... Why didn't I ask better questions in Calcutta? Why didn't I ask about dinosaurs or evolution? Why didn't I ask about the age of the earth? Why didn't I ask about this, this, and this? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. This is a few years later once I got a little bit smart. And he says, listen, young man, the words that you ask, the questions that you ask, Even those were not of your own. The Holy Spirit prompted me to ask those two particular questions. That was not of me. Because they are the two best questions I could possibly ask. They are the two best questions any human can possibly ask. Why? Any spirit, listen carefully, can claim to be Jesus. It's in all religions. Jesus is everywhere. But only the true spirit will claim that the Bible is true. Is that you, Jesus? Yes. Is the Bible true? Yes. Now, why is this? The spirit and the word are a locking device. The spirit testifies to the word and the word testifies to the spirit. You got it? I was prompted for those two questions. That's why they're the two best questions I could have asked. This is a locking device for us. First John, it tells us to test the spirits. How are you going to test it? By the word. This is why we shouldn't be worried about spiritual things and spiritual matters like the Baptists got concerned about. Oh, you should be careful of those things. No, no. These are the things that teach us and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth we need the Holy Spirit we need to test all things I understand it but we need to move in the Holy Spirit Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me the only way to hear the shepherd's voice the only way for the scriptures to be illuminated is if we have the spirit dwelling deeply in us richly in us amen See, the enemy really wants to keep the church from this. I was speaking to Pastor Joey the other day, my good friend. And if the enemy can do anything to distract you from moving in the Holy Spirit, he will. You want to go to church? Fine. You want to read your Bible? Fine. When you start to want to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where your problems will begin. As one minister said, the outcome of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is trouble. That's where your trouble begins. Consider it like this. The Israelites, the Hebrews, they come out of Egypt. They pass through the waters. Okay, and there they are in the desert, wandering about. And then they pass through the waters into Canaan, the promised land. You got it? You see these two baptisms here, one through the water, and the other one could represent quite well the spirit. They're in the promised land. Is that when their problems finished or when their problems began? 
When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's when your problems begin. But praise God, you have the Holy Spirit to overcome that. For he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But when you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not quenched the Holy Spirit, that's where you become effective and where you become a threat to the enemy. And he will give you every distraction. And what the Lord wants his church is to move in this power by coming and praising and worshiping him. Maybe at church, maybe on a Wednesday night or whatever it is, as a body coming together. If the enemy can distract that, he can really see us powerless. This is the danger of the baptism of the Holy Spirit for Satan. Because once you've received the power and you've encountered Jesus, you're never the same again, are you? Your desires change, your motives change, your thoughts change. But we need to keep each other on fire. That's why Paul says about not quenching the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. And encouraging each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I want to encourage us to pray more for one another. In here, pray for one another. Encourage each other to come along. It's not about numbers, who comes along and how many numbers can I get in the door. It's about that you are coals of fire for Christ. And we need to come together and burn brightly for him in this time. And it will burn up the dross in you. And all the other desires and habits and hobbies that you have. But I tell you this, where you see the power of the Holy Spirit at work, and he's at work in this place. You won't desire anything else. Come and taste and see the Lord is good. And he's at work in this place. How awesome is God. Amen? Now I said I want to leave with some practical points. Maybe we can put those up just. How can we encounter Jesus? How can we surrender to Jesus? How can we guard the heart from straying for Jesus? Now, number one is this. How can we encounter Jesus? Look, maybe some Christians think, well, I haven't received the Holy Spirit or I'm dry in this area or I've quenched the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 7, 7 to 11 says, ask, seek and knock. It's written in the continual present tense. Keep on asking, keep on seeing, seeking and keep on knocking. And here's the other one, fear not. Remember Jesus said, if you to ask a father for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a scorpion. Be diligent. Be diligent in seeking the Lord. Maybe you've given up. You think, well, you know, this was a long time ago when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is just my normal Christianity. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is not normal. Amen? It's not natural. It's supernatural. And God wants to speak to his church. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must be diligent in seeking him. Now, how can we surrender to Jesus? Well, first of all, here's a definition of surrendering. It is simply this. Stop resisting. Stop resisting God and submit to his authority. It's like a prisoner of war. You just surrender. You give in, you give up, and you yield. Okay? And that's going to take some sacrifice. We've got to be careful not to fill our lives with too much stuff. Hobbies and habits. If they're in the way of, of your walk... Don't compromise. Get rid of it. Don't take up new hobbies and habits unless it's for the kingdom of God's sake because I don't know how much time we've got. Amen? And I mean it. I don't know how much time we've got. Now, how can we guard our hearts from straying for Jesus? Now, one other thing about surrendering. I think there's power in just speaking it out, by the way. Some of you may agree or disagree. Something very simple like this. I love you, Jesus. I'm coming to you, Lord. I want to surrender to you. Lord, I need your help. I desire to surrender. The flesh is, is not willing. Okay? Kill my flesh. 
Come to the Lord and cry out to him, Lord, I need your help to surrender everything I have to you. Even if you don't feel it, speak out and come to the Lord and say, this is what I want. I want to surrender to you. I want to cut off relationships, which is not honoring to you. I want to get rid of habits and hobbies and these things I'm filling my life is to surrender to you. But I need your help, Lord, and he will be there to guide and help you. Rest assured. Now, the last one is this. How do we guard our hearts from straying from Jesus? Write this down. Proverbs 4.23. We're going to give it to you from the NLT. It says, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. We filter, listen, our emotions, our desires, and our thoughts by the word of God. That may may sound somewhat stoic, but go with it and ask the Lord to bring the Spirit into that. Everything must be filtered through the word of God. Whether you think, whether you feel, what does the word of God say? Because it's very hard to minister to people if they don't believe the word. It's impossible to minister to people if they don't submit the word. But the Lord wants you to come, to yield, and submit to him because he has wonderful things for you. Okay? No? Let me give you an example then. I said I don't want to get married. I'm not going to get married, Lord, because I want to serve you effectively. I think I can be better on my own. Okay? And I'm not going to get married. I told everyone I'm not going to get married. So in walks this woman. (laughs) Oh, I'm in trouble now. Long dreads. And I thought, oh no. She is beautiful. Brother Andy warned me. Be careful of that one. Oh no. And her and her mother had a great time at church. They said, I'll see you next week. Oh, no. However, I handed it over to the Lord. I'm not going to do anything about it. And I'm literally not going to do anything. And I did not do anything about it. Very careful and everything else. But the Lord put that burning desire on Chelsea's heart for James. And, um, well, somewhat the rest is history. We ended up getting married a few years later. You remember that? During lockdown, I won't give the date because it might be a bit dodgy, but we got married. It's just the day after the lockdown. And my life has changed. I now have a dog. I have a house filled with things. I've never seen Piers move so fast in getting Chelsea out of the house. He was very helpful in all things. And the Lord has a plan. And he says to me, you're not better on your own. It's not good for a man to be alone. I've said it in my word. And you're having a wife. Praise God. That's his plan. That's not my plan. But I had to submit and say, okay, Lord, let me tell you, it's a risk. Every covenant you enter into is a risk. You enter into a covenant with Jesus. It's somewhat of a risk. When you get married, it's somewhat of a risk. And all of these things, like a marriage, like the covenant you've entered into in Christ, takes work. You have to work at it. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to work at it because there's a resistance. And today there's a big resistance against biblical marriage. Is that true? Most people don't even know what a woman is these days. What is a woman? What is a man? Okay? That's where the argument is. But if you're married and you're covenanted and covenanted in Christ, in God, you are a powerhouse if you submit to his word and to his authority. And God will use you to the uttermost for his glory and not your own. Amen? Let's finish with this. Turn with me to Psalm 118, verse 5. Andy.
Psalm 118, verse 5 and verse 6 says this. This is very fitting. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen? Let's stand.